You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to another episode of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. As you know, I'm only doing podcasts at the moment when they're absolutely necessary, and this is one of those. Um, this week's episode is with Joe Leader Warner. She is retiring from basketball. Um, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably public. Uh, you probably are well aware of it. You've probably seen it on social somewhere. Um, but she's decided to hang them up, and that is huge news. You know, when we talk about all time greats, when we talk about legends of the game, she is that. So we jumped on a pod. We spoke for about an hour. Um, we spoke about various things, uh, not just her career, but also obviously this season, the state of women's British basketball. I had a few uh, digressions into the program that we we're running at the moment and asking her some thoughts on things. Um, but it had to be done. Obviously, we want to pay tribute to the greats, and she is exactly that. There were some pretty scathing words for the Federation um, in there, which, you know, as much as, uh, well, it needs to be said, basically. Um, and, I'm, I, you know, I applaud her for, for being honest about kind of her take on, on being here for a year and kind of what, what she's seen and what she's experienced. Um, but also makes me incredibly frustrated about the state of the game and does make me wonder, you know, when it's going to change because, you know, here we have another incredible player that is, you know, disenchanted with the state of things um, and doesn't know kind of like where to go with it and, and sort of says, well, I don't know how I can help if I'm here for a year and it doesn't change anything. Like, what else can I do? Because you know, she lives in the US now um, and, and sort of feels like she's just needs to focus on other things. So it's incredibly frustrating from that standpoint. You know, we should be having a conversation about what an incredible career she had and um, and all the accolades that came with it and the, and the impact and inspiration that she's provided to, you know, hundreds, if not thousands, of, of young female and, and male basketball players. Um, but instead, we're, we're, we're getting distracted by the state of basketball uh, in this country again. Anyway, I don't want to go on too much. Um, have a listen. Let me know what you think. As always, you can check out our Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. There you can start to give us a monthly um, or annual contribution for as much as little as you like. It goes a long way in helping the work that we're doing to try and grow this thing. So check it out, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. As always, we'd love to hear your take uh, on the conversation. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, let us know in the comments below. Um, or you can reach out to us on every single social media platform at hoopsfix. Or if you prefer some individual one-on-one -on -one, um, interaction, you can drop me an email, Sam at hoopsfix.com I reply to every single one anyway uh, that is enough from me um, here is this week's podcast with the legend that is Joe Leader Warner we are here because uh, you're announcing your retirement this is you know yeah. huge news we've been holding on it for, for a little while um, and I guess yeah. like this is the end of an era really especially for you know a, a career of your magnitude it's, it's pretty massive kind of how yeah. Have you come to that decision and how are you feeling about it? Uh, I feel really good about it. Um, I think it's one of them things, you know, obviously Sue Bird has recently retired. So that's been all over the TV here. Um, and she's, she said something and it, it, and I think it's just, and, and most people that retire, not everyone, but a lot of people when they do it on their terms and stuff like that, they just say, when you know, you know, like sometimes when you know, you just know. And I felt like it was kind of like that with me. I didn't know at the start of the season that it would be my last. Um, I thought maybe it would be my last, but it wasn't like 100%. I was going back and forth, whatever. And then just more as the season went on, I just kind of felt like, yeah, this is definitely my last season. Um, 
I knew like going to the O2, I knew that was my last game. I knew everything. I obviously like just didn't really want to put it all over social media and I wanted to take my time with it and, and just kind of enjoy playing. And I also didn't want to take attention away from our team and what we were actually doing and achieving uh, and to just be focused because I think it is a big distracting thing or can be. So yeah, it was, wasn't, was wasn't a hard decision in the moment doing it. I think when you sit down and you reflect on anything, it kind of seems a little bit hard because it's like, when I think about everything, I've literally played this game for like 21 years from like start to finish. That's a massive chunk of my life and like literally just given everything. And then I'm the kind of person who I just live in the moment. I never really was like, oh wow, I've done this and this is awesome, oh wow, and, and talked about what I'd done. It was kind of like, I'd do what I was doing in the moment, then it was like, right, onto the next thing, onto the next thing, always onto the next thing. So now that I'm actually at the end, I've kind of been going back and looking at stuff and it's kind of funny, like funny, but also like, whoa, like I, unbelievable that some of the stuff that I did, I don't really believe that I did it. And cause I didn't really celebrate it. I just moved on to the next thing. Yeah, I'm just kind of like, wow, I had a good career. Whereas before when I was in it, I never would have said that because I felt like it wasn't being humble and it was, you know, you should always be humble and not talk about yourself. But now I feel like there's a difference between how you talk about yourself and, and being proud of yourself, you know? So now that it's, you know, it's been a, what, a month or so since the end of the season officially. Um, and so as opposed to, you know, have, had you done it that last game, it's kind of fresh and you don't really have a whole lot to say because you haven't had that, that, that space really to sit down and reflect. Are you feeling different about it now four weeks after the fact so you've had that time to process and reflect compared to how you did you know, after that last game? Yeah, I think, like I said, I'm like definitely like a in-the-moment kind of person. I think I knew it was like my last game. So, you know, when Mark subbed me out, I definitely sat on the bench and like shed a few tears and stuff like that. But I, people, I don't know what, people probably didn't even notice, but because I knew like that was that. But I think for me now, it's just, yeah, I feel the same. I just kind of feel a bit more proud of myself and I want to just celebrate what I've done. And yeah, every all, uh, all the teammates that I've had and, and you, you think about, I think it just gave me a lot more time to process everything and think about all the situations and the moments. And some of them I can't even remember. It's like my family saying, remember this, remember this, remember this. It's, there's literally so many chapters. It's It's hard to like, go back and, and think about them all because sometimes you tend to just think about the winning but it's not just that it's like the the little things that happened or, or the the tough moments you know so it, it's yeah i've just oh here comes my dog <laughs> amazing oh. extra guest how, how, yeah. how important That's... was it for you um to have, have done at least a season after becoming a mother oh my god you know it's so funny i had a this might be tmi but i had like a doctor's appointment this morning i've got annual checkup with my with um, my doctor and she asked me what i'd been doing how's the baby and then i said she said did you go and play basketball i said yes i did and i said i i literally played this season it was so important for me to go because like i didn't i didn't want her to be a reason for me to stop i needed to stop when i wanted to stop and she wasn't going to be that reason and she said you know what when you came in here and you found out you were pregnant, that's, that's the first thing you started talking about, that you're an athlete, you can't be pregnant and all this kind of stuff. And, and so it was really like a full circle moment. So it's kind of funny that you asked me that because because I had that appointment today, but it, it was so important for me to, to go and play just because I think a lot of people do have kids and then they, they don't come back because it's hard, it's really hard. 
Um, but yeah, that that season was literally for me and, and for her. Do you? I, I remember one of the conversations we had during the season. You said something along the lines of like, "I understand now why so many, so few, sorry, players." come back to play after having a baby because it is so difficult like I guess for, for those of us that you know haven't had a baby and returned to professional basketball um like what are the challenges what has changed for you as a mother uh playing basketball compared to you know your life pre-baby oh my gosh so like I was like so so much so like but but some of the main things that was like I was always like first person in the gym last person out this year I was probably like I was going to say last person in the gym, but I was like more near the last a lot of the time than the first. And I was, more, there was only a handful of times that I was last person in the gym because I, ha I had to get home. And and that was really hard for me because I felt like it was, wasn't who I, who I was. So it was kind of like a different version of myself, but it wasn't because I was like, slacking off is literally because I have other responsibilities of, as a mother and also the you know I was always optional I was always going to optionals and uh, optional I was like optional I'll be off you know <laughs> doing whatever um and then even I think it was just the time the amount of time that I could put into the game I was this person that would put everything into the game like I said I was always there first I was always there last I was getting extra shots up I was getting up this I had to that two hour block we have a practice I had to maximize it and and get everything I could in the, in that time because I knew once we stopped I was you know everyone's stretching taking their socks off doing this that and the other I'm on the clock now in mum mode thinking I gotta get home you know so it's just and then even going to games like I would wouldn't even think or prepare for the game until literally I walked into the gym like before the game and that was like not me at all but I just I, I didn't have time because you know, she's weaning, I need to sort her food out, I need to pump milk, I need to make sure she's sorted, like, you're just on another planet, and then you could go down a whole rabbit hole with, like, you know, I, I breastfed her the whole season, actually still am trying to get her off, <laughs> but um, I breastfed her all season, and that's just a challenge in itself, and, and especially the way we were traveling in Europe, I mean, my mum, God bless her, she's the real MVP, she traveled everywhere with us um, in Europe and some domestic, but it was literally, you know, we'd go to practice, or we'd travel, I'd be feeding her, we'd get delayed, I'd be in line feeding her, we'd get to the, the hotel, you know, everyone could probably, you know, usually you sort yourself out, you get ready for practice, I'm like pumping milk like a maniac, then I get back from practice and I'm, I'm feeding her and then, then I'm pumping her to make sure she's got enough for the game, like it was just, I couldn't think about basketball until I literally got on the court, With which was like not who I was. I was going to say that, that um, it's probably it's probably a new situation for for the club as well for the Lions like you know for, for most basketball teams they probably don't deal with too many athletes with 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 young babies so you know yeah. for for them I guess obviously from your side yeah it's a whole change but probably for the, for them as well it's a, it's a whole change how accommodating with the Lions in being able to sort of help you manage that as well I mean I I have to say that Mark was unbelievable I don't know if he ever took any flack from back rooms or whatever I don't know he may have he may not have I I don't know but he made sure that we kind of made this normal and i remember one time like I, I didn't have a babysitter and i had to bring her luckily i wasn't playing it was near the beginning of the season when i wasn't ready yet and he, he had to bring her 
so I had her like in in the wrap and stuff, and it was pretty awesome because you know I I was still kind of like rehabbing, trying to get back. So I go in and do my weights before I think we had a game, and and I'm like doing weights, and I've got her in the pram, and Azania's there feeding her um a bottle while I'm like squatting on the rack and stuff like that. And then we go to the game and I've got her in the wrap and Mark's called a timeout and he's he's trying to talk and she just starts crying. And I'm like, this is the beginning. So it was new for me, it was new for them. And I, I remember going to Mark, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm so sorry, I know this is unprofessional, da da da. And he literally just turned to me and he goes, look, we are where we are. And, and, and that's all he said. And I just thought, you know what? And then Azania said to me, you, need to normalize this like you have a responsibility now because you're you're the first of maybe more people and you need to make this normal and you need to understand that that baby is first if that baby's not right then you're not right and if you're not right then we don't get the best of you and we need the best of you and she said like if you don't make this normal it's never going to be normal so stop apologizing for stuff just get on with it she was like you're bringing more attention to it and it literally like i needed that moment and her as a teammate and mark who was just unbelievable all season with the way everything was and, and just really let me be like a mum first and then an athlete second. But I was able to thrive and get where I needed to be as an athlete because he let me be a mum first and, and he, he never bothered or complained about it and he just embraced it. And because he embraced it, everybody else embraced it. I think they would have embraced it anyway, to be honest, because just our team was like that. And it was more distracting for them sometimes having Isla there than it was for me. But but yeah, it was just, it, it was a nice environment, but it stems from the top and Mark was just, he just welcomed it with open arms. Uh, those sort of first practices, like when you first made the return at the start of this season, like kind of what are the memories and, and how difficult was that both physically and mentally for you with effectively a whole new body a whole new mentality like you know i remember some of those early conversations when i came down to practices and some of the challenges you were facing but yeah i'd be interested to kind of hear your sort of reflections now i just kept thinking like oh my god because also you're in like i i've never played in the uk it's semi-pro whatever it, it's it's not what i know so i just kept being like i remember saying to a couple of people like my God, they're gonna fire me because this is what happens when you go overseas you know like if you're not ready to go and I was kept saying like you don't show up somewhere not ready to play regardless of your circumstances like I'm not fit I'm not healthy and then when I am trying to run some some muscles pulling here some muscles pulling there like it was literally like problem after problem after problem and I just kept saying they're gonna fire me they're gonna fire me and then eventually I sat down and I had like a big talk with Mark and um in the in the physio we were and they just said look we're gonna sit you out for three weeks and we're gonna get you right and, and once you're right then we're gonna put you in because it kept it was like halfy 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 and it just it wasn't good for for anyone and I remember just thinking oh my god like there's absolutely no I mean, it's funny because I walked in I remember watching it thinking I'm gonna kill this kind of thing <laughs> you know not like not to be an asshole and then when I got on there I was like whoa whose body is this <laughs> you know like this is this is not my body kind of thing um, and, it, and it was really hard I, I could barely run I remember running with one of the girls Valentina and she was like running at like 60% and I couldn't even keep up with her and I was like oh my god everything hurt everything so it was kind of funny when I and I remember playing my first game was against Leicester Riders and I remember going on and playing and stuff and I just felt like I had an out-of-body experience like complete out-of-body experience and I was like 
yeah, I was like just every emotion possible, but then also not really having time to deal with it and think about it because again, then you have to, you're in mum mode. So it's kind of like whatever. And then I came home in, in November for that window. Um, and I actually did like uh, two weeks of workouts with my sister, We're literally getting up at five o'clock in the morning and going doing 6 a.m.s in Brooklyn. And I swear to God, like on everything, like that changed everything. Like she was literally like, she was like not yelling at me, but just talking shit to me and like, oh my God, you're running like you've got a, like a piano on your back. You look like you've got a sack of potatoes. Are you all right? Like you look like a piece of wood, loosen up all this kind of shit to me. Like, and I swear like those workouts just changed everything. Like, but it, it was exactly what I needed. And, but I just, I couldn't get it done in London because one, we didn't have time. We didn't have venues and I didn't have time to be going and doing extra individuals like that really either. So that, when I came back in November, I really started to feel like, wow, okay, like, here we go. This feels a bit better. You, you preempted the question I was going to ask was like, well, at what point did it start clicking, you know? And clearly it was those, those words. So that was what, November, right? It was November. Yeah, November. Um, and yeah. then, yeah, and then spoiler alert, obviously you had an undefeated season, won that one MVP, kind of did it all. Like, how, um, how important was it for you to kind of finish finish on top i guess you know like this when you talk about sort of um fairy tale endings i mean say what you want about the BB, the wbbl but to, to to play at home for a year to go undefeated to have the success you had in europe obviously you know the massive win over Bourges, win the mvp like i mean it doesn't really get much better does it no and i think it's like true what you said because i even I don't want to say like I poo-pooed the league. I didn't. But like I said to you, when, when I was watching the practice and I thought, oh, I'm going to get in there and, and kill it with this team. And I didn't. Uh, not because like it, you what you watch them when, you, when you're when you in it, it's different. And, and it is true. Like what say what you want about WVBL, but you've still got to go and do it. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to go and do it. And there is some good players and there is some good coaches who try and, and stop it and stop you and stop our team and, and whatever. And, and people are growing and they're learning and, and it's tough um so so yeah that that yeah but i think i had a lot of people say to me well, why would you stop you can keep playing look at this season you've had 50 40 90 blah blah blah, blah. you've won everything Ugh. and i'm i'm like exactly that that is exactly why I, and just because i feel it i feel it like but my big thing is like i've known like a couple of players who just keep playing and like you're like oh they should have stopped they should have stopped like uh, or like there's no way I was going out with Mark playing me like 10 minutes a game and just literally sitting on the bench being a mentor to like young players. Like, there's just no way. I think it would probably be helpful. Yeah, I get it from like coach's side and stuff like that. But for me personally, that's not who I am. And I was not going out like that. I was going out on top where nobody can touch me and you can't say anything about me. <laughs> has um has there been any conversations with mark trying to persuade you to come back you know is that it, like is, is it kind of everyone been very accepting of, of the of the decision or kind of are people trying to pull you back because you know like you said it's, it's quite clear you've clearly got at least a few more years left playing at a decent level you know um yeah kind yeah. of how, how's that been perceived yeah he definitely when i first had the first conversation with him i think he didn't really believe me and he was just kind of like whatever and then and then I didn't actually tell him like right 100% I'm retiring I said look I think I'm like 
and that 95% like slowly grew and was getting closer and closer and closer to 100. But he was like, I'm taking my chances, you know, I'm gonna take my chance on the 1%. You know, you still haven't told me 100%. So he was like hanging on, you know. And I think other people like didn't really believe me, like the manager, Roche, she, I don't think she really believed me either. And um, and then when we got to, when we won at the O2, Mark turned to me as we were like lifting the trophy and doing all this hurrah, he, him and Roche were actually standing together and he said, so are you 100 now? And I said, Yes, I'm 100. Wow. <laughs> it's rather been sitting there thinking like, and people have been thinking, is she really retiring? Because she's not said anything about it. And it's like, what, June 20th? <laughs> exactly. The um, There was a moment at the O2 that really stood out to me. And I haven't actually spoken to you about it, so I'll be interested to kind of hear, hear, hear your thoughts. But of course, they, they announced the MVP before the game um, and they, they wanted to award you the trophy at half court. And uh, you weren't there to receive it because you were warming up. Now, was that was that a conscious decision on your part because you wanted to prepare for the game and you were kind of in game mode and you didn't want to get distracted by that? Or was it something else? Yeah, I'm warming up for the game. I, I Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, Everyone was like, yeah. And I was just like, like looking at, I want to be like, ladies, we got a job to do. Like no distractions, you know, it's just how I am. And my mom was like to me after the game, well, you know, Gino, because this is how my mum talks, isn't it? <laughs> Gino Crandell, or whatever his name is from Leicester, he went and got his trophy in the warm-up. And I said, I don't care. I'm not Gino Crandell. Like, I am who I am. Like, I was never going to get that trophy. Like, it is what it is. And my mum was such, like, she was trying to get and She was like, we missed you getting your trophy. I said, don't worry, I didn't go for it anyway. <laughs> did, you, did you tell the league beforehand that you weren't going to be going up to pick it up? Had they had a conversation with you about it or anything? No, they had a conversation or anything. So they probably, if they had, they probably would have would have known. But yeah. I find all that stuff distracting, like everything. Like, do you want to be mic'd up? Do you want to be this? Do you want to be that? No, just leave me alone. One of the things that, you know, repeatedly, I mean, Mark says it all the time when I speak to him, but, but other people as well, when they talk about what separates you from everyone else, it is the mentality. Um, you know, w where does that come from? Like what, what has caused you to have this, you know, laser sharp focus, competitive edge, uh, killer instinct, like, yeah, what has cultivated that? It, it's probably like, it, it has to be like growing up, like probably like my mom and my dad and how they like treated us, stuff we would do. You know, sometimes we sit around and we, and, and even like the coaches, like we had Jimmy McGinn coaching us and like we would just do stuff like, we would do like two hour practice and two hour practices were like stations, like, 11 stations and just going around and it would be us and the lads like mixed practice three on two continuous for ages some like blue line drill where you have to like look up touch this line go back touch this line go back like stuff that you would probably try and do with kids today and they would think it was really like just awful and boring and we do like a practice like that for about an hour and a half two hours and it'd be like right we've got the run today we're going to do the two mile run so we finish with like this two mile run all around like the blocks and the houses and i think it's just like doing stuff like that and like my dad was never the one to be like, he'd be like, get to the front, get to the front, you know, like, and, and if you didn't get to the front, when you got home, like, you literally heard about it for days, or like, we would go on holiday, and we were talking about this the other day, like, we'd go on holiday down Cornwall for like six weeks, and, and he would like, because we used to swim as well, he'd make us join a swim club, like, 
I'm like, bro, we're on holiday and you made us join a swim club. What is that? And then he'd make us like run around all the fields, like get up in the morning. My mom would stay in, in the tent making breakfast and we'd all have to be running around the, the commons doing like this crazy hill run, like me and, and my two sisters. And he'd be like yelling at my older sister to not let me beat her. And I think that's it as well as that I was always trying to beat her. So I would, I always had someone to try and beat. And, and I just think, I just think that and having my two sisters, we would always, we were just really competitive with, with each other. And, and my mum and dad kind of like loved it. Do you, do you find when you're around other players, uh, it's obvious that you are more competitive than them? Or do you feel like actually in a professional environment, there's a lot of very competitive athletes and kind of you, you blend in a little bit more like kind of how has it been, you know, especially this season when you look back at the year and your teammates and stuff like with everyone else, like how, how is the kind of the coming together of the of you and, and them being I think I think that I am I think there's other people that are like me professionally for sure because I've met them I know them but I think like there isn't loads which is weird because I think like I'm competitive all the time like all the time and then there's people who are just competitive when they get in games like I've had like teammates who are like amazing teammates like unbelievable players they've been in so many olympics and stuff like that but in practice sometimes you know they're just they need a day off or they're just going soft they just don't go practice all the time part of it is because it is taxing on your body and stuff like that but I just like literally can't switch it off and um but I think this year I think I definitely, I mean, people can argue and say what they want, but what I definitely think that I'm super competitive, but and more than anyone else. But I think that I kind of like trickled that down and, and rubbed that off on people and people became really competitive and, and practice became really tough and really hard and really fun. And it got chippy sometimes. And I loved that. And, and I kind of made people love that and embrace it and realize, you know, these aren't personal attacks because you know what it's like with women like sometimes you know men can do that and they can fight whatever and moving on sometimes women it's, it's it can get a bit different but i tried to kind of make people understand and, and i think we did as a group like hey if it gets chippy it's okay like you know and, and you know what? if you have to leave practice fast when you come back tomorrow it's a new day like it's fine but practice would get chippy sometimes and it's because we were all wanted to win so bad and and i loved that i thought that was such a great thing and I, and i said that one time you know like people were you know, a bit like huffy and mad and stuff. But I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is what you want, especially with this caliber of players. How do we get any better? Yeah. The, um, <clears throat> the, the obviously, the, the, well, the standout moment for me for, of the season was obviously the game against Borges. Like, I'll be interested, you know, for you, was that the, the sort of the biggest moment or were, were there other bigger moments um, when you kind of reflect on, on the year with the Lions? I, I think, like, as a, as a whole... Uh, that that has to be like one of the biggest moments because it also is like such a like full circle moment too to like and I remember like playing them and I'm always like competitive and you know any on any given day like you can win and, and stuff like that but like I'm also like a bit of a realist and I, I definitely didn't think we would I, I didn't think we would beat them I, it's weird because I go into every game it, it sounds weird and it sounds backwards I go into every game thinking you can win but you're also I also was like okay like I, I said to my dad don't bother coming because I don't even know how this is going to go I'm just going to give it everything I've got but you know th they were supposed to beat us by 30 they've been averaging beating everyone by like 40 or something so I told him not to even come which is like a whole nother story that he'll never let go 
Um, so he, did he not come at all? Was he not there? No. Oh, wow. He was at home with the baby. Oh, wow. So he was like, yeah, he was kind of devoured. Um, so, so yeah, I think it, it, yeah, it would have to be like that. I think that moment was, and I just think to, to be able to feel like, okay, I'm playing like what I know I can play like against my old team who I played like that for, for numerous years. And probably in a sense, like really made a name for myself playing for them that way. And so it was nice because I was also like saying to my dad the other day, like, what was really nice about that game for me was that I know you guys scouted me, mom or no mom. You guys scouted me, like the the broke Joe Leadham version, the mom version, whatever you want to call it. A hundred percent, you scouted me, and I still like led our team and and did did what we did against you. So for me, it, it wasn't like you know sometimes when they don't scout players and you like sneak attack them because oh we didn't really know about you. It, there was no way they they didn't know. So I was like saying to him. That's what was good is that I know that it was that moment I felt like ah, I'm I'm back. Not I'm back, but I'm here again kind of thing, you know. What um what did they say to you afterwards? Like obviously I'm I'm assuming there was probably conversations from former teammates, former coaches, former club members, um kind of what what was the narrative from from their side? Like did they congratulate you and, and say well done or was it like I can't believe you did that? Like kind of yeah, what was the uh, sort of general sentiment from their side? Kind of a bit of both. Um Tate also asked why we were playing in this, why we were playing in that gym and where the multicolor gym was. <laughs> oh, I've got to love Crystal Palace. Got to love Crystal Palace. Yeah, I was like, I was like, this place is is a is a legend. Um, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was kind of like a bit of both. Um, it was kind of yeah, like wow, we we definitely didn't expect that, and and a bit of like respect of like, oh, you guys are you guys are good, you guys aren't bad, like you know, you you're you're a good team, like you fight really hard and. Yeah, it was. They were very complimentary of us, so it, it was nice. Was it um, was it frustrating at all that you know, from from a from a individual and from a from a club standpoint, you this season was pretty monumental, um, pretty you know I don't know what the word is. It's going to go down in the history books, and yeah. throughout the season, not many people cared. You know, it wasn't really getting any type of traction. It wasn't really picked up, um, and. You know, even after that win, it's like, well, where are the newspapers covering this? Where, where's the TV stations doing a thing? Like, this is this is huge news. Um, you know, did that frustrate you at all? Um, or kind of, I guess, coming into the season, you knew that British basketball, this is what it's like. It's hard to break through and you kind of expected it a little bit. Yeah, a bit of both. A bit of both, but also I felt like when I signed to come and play here, it wasn't about, okay we're going to pay you this and you're going to get this and you're going to do this and the, the, the league is what you'll be fine in the league and then there, whatever, or we need you to do this. It, it was like bigger picture of like me having somebody like me come back and, and play on home soil. And I just felt like they never took advantage of that at all. And then, and then just not even setting myself aside. Then you've got Azania who is what she is. And then you've got all the young stars coming through. Like there's so many different people on our team who are gonna be great professionals and give a lot to the sport. And we were doing what we were doing. And it was just like, God, like get a grip, like come on. And and I don't know like what London Lions are doing. They, they like pay a lot of money for people to run socials and, and media and whatever. So it's like, what are you actually doing? And then obviously as a female athlete, you ask the question like, 
if this was the men's team, you know, the men's team would get like one win or come really close to another team in Europe and it would be like a big flipping deal. And I'm like, we're out here being one of the only teams that actually beat the team who won. Like, and that's in France too, because they swept Lyon in the finals. So, and, and we just couldn't get any traction. I'm like, whatever story you want to write, there's a million stories here to write. You got like me, who's an Olympian, who's 10 year anniversary of the Olympics. I've given birth, I've come back and I'm like literally playing back to where I was. And you could write a story about that. You could write a story about all the, the young guns coming through, the Shanice, the Holly, Kennedy, whoever. And then you got Azania, she's there too, an Olympian. Like you could look, like there's so many angles that you could push and they didn't push anything. And we're, and we're winning and we're, we're winning the right way as well, but nothing. So I kind of expected it, but I also kind of had a little bit of hope with the talks that me and Mark had had that it would really kind of like shake things up. But I felt like it, it really didn't. But for me, like what was nice is that I, I felt like it didn't because on the magnitude of like big things like that, I felt like nothing was being done. But I had like a couple of encounters and, and people really come and say to me like, hey, it's so great to play against you or what, like just say like little things like that. And that meant more than probably those people knew because I, I was here thinking like, God, me coming back really hasn't done anything. It really doesn't matter. But then sometimes it's like it doesn't matter if it's affecting like thousands it's like the few it's it just moves slower and that just kind of that still meant a lot to me and I felt like you know what we're moving slow but we're moving so if we can ever get somebody and if we can keep a Xenia there and then the young stars grow and then you know we can get bigger players back um hopefully at that point we'll be, we'll be able to shout out and do more about it did you have any conversations internally with the club about your frustrations on that side no, I didn't. Uh, honestly, yeah, I didn't because I was like in season trying to be a mom. And to be honest, it was so frustrating. I just felt like I just didn't have time to give it. And then when I wanted to do it and wanted to say stuff, it was like, I know other people had said stuff and it was like, well, everything's going to change next year or we can talk about it at the end of the season. And I was just kind of like, you talk about stuff at the end of the season. You want to talk to me in a back room behind closed doors where nobody really knows what's going on. You want to try and shush me. Like, it's just a waste of my time. Like, you're losing opportunities and you're throwing opportunities away. And so I just, I know that there's people on that team who are vocal and will stay vocal. So if things really don't change, then stuff is definitely going to be said next year. Yeah, I mean... It, and, and rightly so, rightly so. Yeah, 100%. I think um, it's funny, like, there is... We've been... We hired a PR agency for the for the Classic this year. Um, managed to get a, a very good deal. Uh, and we ended up getting picked up in, in a fair few places. And then just we're just sort of wrapping up the last, the last sort of half of it. Um, and we ended up being able to use... Obviously, Jeremy Sohan's about to get drafted. He played in, in 2019. We've got a good relationship with his agency. Um... So we managed to, we've got like a, there's an interview this week that's meant to be doing, uh, happening with The Telegraph that's going to be going out in print. Um, and then we've got a, a piece with the BBC that's going to go out this week, I think, because the draft's on the 23rd, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And it just reiterates to me that this stuff is literally just about effort. I mean, it's not all about effort because there are, there are cultural barriers there and, you know, the amount of times that yeah. we obviously had conversations about uh, you doing interviews with various people at certain times and there was one time it got bumped because there was a big football story that broke the same day and you know there, there are those barriers there but at the same time if you just have someone that is literally 
just making an effort to reach out to people and say, this is a really good story and they have the connections and the relationships, um, it can break through. It just requires a willingness and obviously that investment on the side to do it. And I do think how much press media, British basketball, whether it's on the women's side or the men's side, has lost over the years just from not having someone really doing that legwork. Yeah, definitely. And I'm not trying to pump you up because I'm here and I'm mates with you and I'm doing this for you. But you're like the prime example of that. Literally just effort and doing stuff off your own back. I mean, any interviews and stuff, you know, that one that um, I did with the BBC, which went everywhere and people were like, oh, I had a lot of messages saying that was great. It was right after, I think, um, the O2. And I think you'd you'd set that up. Anything that I did came from you. So just so everybody knows, <laughs> but no, you're, you're like the prime example of that literally just effort and connections and just pushing, constantly pushing, pushing and knowing that maybe, maybe five people never answer the door, never answer the call, but then you'll get three people who do because you keep knocking, you keep pushing and you are literally, I know everybody will say the same thing about you right now. And um, I know this podcast is not about you, it's about me, but I'm just talking about you for a second, like everybody will say how great you are. And if we didn't have you in British basketball, like, God, I hate to think where we would be. Honestly, one day we'll do a podcast about you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I think the, the I think the, the most stark, the, the, the most obvious thing, uh, the most obvious moment for me of, of where we are with, with basketball was actually after the, after the playoff final. And, you know, there are obviously various people around the team and around the league that should have known that it was very possible that you could retire. I mean, obviously, a lot of people didn't have confirmation, but there was a lot of people that suspected it. You know, I know obviously you had, had conversations with people t- talking about it. And in the press conference after the game, you weren't requested to be bought out and you weren't brought out to the press conference after the game. And of course, there was only a handful of us there. But even then, it's like, you know, you have, this is the end of the season at the O2, the season finale. You've got Joe Leadham, who's potentially coming to the end of her career. She's been named the MVP. She just won the title, undefeated. And in the post-game presser, she is not there to answer questions and kind of put her face out there um, and have all these conversations where potentially that could have been the moment that it was actually announced or, or whatever to get some eyeballs on it because, you know, that would have been picked up a little bit because it was the season finale. Um, and just the lack of thought process or care that has gone into that to even think about setting that up is just, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, and incredibly frustrating, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, for sure. What's your, I mean, now that you've done a season in uh, WBL, if I was to give you the the reins and say you are the CEO of the league, and and you know you you're obviously aware of the limitations, right? So you know that there is you know it's resource strapped. There are a lot of volunteers involved and and whatever like. But knowing knowing what you know, having gone through a year, kind of what would be your priorities um, in terms of well, actually whatever whatever what would be your priorities to 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 improve the league? I think. I think the league has been looking in some ways that they, they have had some good foreign players who have been there, like Kat Carr's been there and she's she's just been great for the league. If you can find... But I think because it is a semi-pro league, I think what's super important is also the young talent and letting the young talent play in the league. Like um, what's KJ at Leicester... I, she her minutes were kind of like I'm not a coach but you know I'm speaking how I want to speak like her minutes were all over the place so she for someone like me she's like she should have been played like a lot more because she is a young player in Hungary they actually have some kind of rule where it's like I don't know what it is and um, somebody who's played in Hungary or somebody who knows but it's 
the young players, the under 20s, they have to play like a certain amount of minutes or they have to always play some one of the quarters and or they always have to be on the court. I think maybe something like that isn't necessarily like a terrible idea because you don't want to have you what you need foreigners to come in the league to help lift it. But we need our homegrown talent. We need it. We need it to thrive. And because the league is only semi-pro, I feel like what better way than to, to push our our younger players and, and make them play in, in this league? You know, we, we had um, Fats with us. I mean, granted, our roster is stacked, but she never, like, consistently, like, stayed with us and for whatever reason that was with, with her doing... Um, but she really would have benefited, and I hope next year she can. And 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 I think like she actually would have earned minutes because she is a, she can be a good player. And then you know there was other good players at Sheffield and younger players getting minutes. And for me that that's kind of like what I would do and where I would start with the league is make sure you got young players on the roster. Do you feel well? Actually, before I mean preempt that, do you have any idea of what you're going to be doing next? Uh, I would. I may be going back to school. Really? Yeah, which I'm kind of, I'm in between like making that decision because I'm kind of like nervous about it. Um, Whether, I don't want to, I feel like I've had such a winner's mentality, so I didn't want to make myself sound like a loser, but I'm like nervous as to whether I can do it because I've been out of school for so long. And and then now I've just got so many distractions having a kid. It's like, you don't have like unlimited time to just sit down and study. Um, what do you want to study? I, uh, psychology, which realistically, and I would say this to other people who are who are pros and they don't have their masters and stuff like that, is if you are overseas, box that off when you are overseas if you can. Even if you're you're paying for it and it's an investment that you give in yourself, that is, I don't have a lot of regrets, but that is a regret, and I will openly say that it's. I'm not embarrassed is not the word. Um, I just feel like I should have. I should have boxed that off. I just should have. Are you saying that because when you're a professional basketball player, you kind of have that downtime in between practices and games that is perfect to be studying? Yep, 100%. If that's something that you want to do, I have an 11 pro year career and yeah, I was living my best life 100%. But I could have been getting my master's where now I'm going to maybe try and get it and juggle having a kid at the same time. So I just made life a bit harder. But um yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm obviously interested in coaching um, and just staying involved in basketball. But yeah, I'm just I'm in like a transition phase where I'm not exactly 100% sure what I'm going to do. But I'm just trying to figure that out. But also trying to just enjoy life, like just being slow for a little bit, but not too long. Is the So would the intention of doing a master's be to actually become a practicing psychologist? Or is it just because you, it's something that you want to learn more about? uh i initially so if if i spoke to someone about this the other day if if i am in like a perfect world if i could be like oh, this is exactly what's going to happen i would love to help like athletes with like mental performance and and that kind of side side of stuff i would love to do that and then the person that i spoke to was like you know obviously that is like perfect world and i'm like yeah like sports psychologist kind of thing but that doesn't that doesn't always necessarily happen but would you be willing to work with like other people who are in teams but maybe their teams aren't like athletic they're like you know a, a business or a company whatever and and that's kind of like their team and, and you need to like help them and I was like uh, kind of thought about it and I was like you know what like why not 
Um, if, if I can help people, I would just love to help people. So if I can do that with like the, the mental side of, of things and how to approach things. Um, and I am interested in just psychology in general. So I would like to just dive into that a little bit deeper. But I'm just kind of on the fence of like, can I, can I actually do it? I know that sounds like such a loser mentality, but um, yeah, I'm kind of nervous because I'm, I've been out for school for so long. Mm, yeah, no, I mean, I get that for sure. Actually, speaking of Dan Clark, Dan Clark went back to school. Um, so that gives me hope that you can do it um, because he went back to school and he's a couple years younger than me, I think. But yeah, he would have been out of school for a long time. And he said he was kind of like, oh, when he went back. But he said it, it's, it's really kind of like such a like, feel good moment and something that's not basketball related and i i kind of think that would be good for me just mm. to also step away from basketball completely interesting because my next question was going to be you know clearly for people that don't know your your home is in the u.s now well it has been for a, for a while um and that's where you're based that's where you, where you currently are do you have thoughts plans desire to be to wanting to be involved in any type of way with British basketball um, from a federation standpoint, from a club standpoint, or do you kind of feel like it would be complicated with you being over there um, to do that? I think it's a bit complicated with me being over here. Um, and to be honest, I don't know if I should say this or not, but I just feel like, fuck it kind of thing. I do feel like British basketball at the moment is like a sinking ship. Like nothing, like there's no change. People can't even get on board and row the boat the same kind of way. So I'm like, why would I ever jump on a sinking ship? You know what I mean? I do feel like I could help change and make a difference. But at the same time, like I'm not going to volunteer my time. Like when I have a lot of other things that I need to give my time to, like everyone in different federations and countries, they get paid for these roles. And it's, yeah, I'm just not, I want change and I want change for the sport like really bad as much as anybody else. But if part of me is also like, if I couldn't do it as a player and have impact as a player, like how am I gonna do it from millions of miles away over here? Um, so I really don't wanna, everyone says the same thing when, when you talk to people and I just kind of feel like conversations I had with people who I really know and I trust and and, and, and we kind of think similar. I just feel like the whole British basketball thing is like throw it in the trash and set it on fire and start again. What? Because what are you really doing? What are we doing? You know? How many conversations did you have with the Federation, both, I guess, the Home Country Association is in Basketball England and then the British Basketball Federation this season? Like, Was there an effort on their side to try and engage with you and sort of capitalise on your your presence being playing on home soil no the the only person who i know is who works a little bit for british basketball is the the, the media guy jamie and he um he made an effort he he always wants to put content out and, and stuff like that so he's he's the only one who made an effort but from the actual federation um what's his name tony minicello he he was at maybe at our sheffield game i don't know i don't even know if he was there because but he like could have come up to me and spoke to me. There was numerous occasions where people that like, that's what you do when one of your best players or not even one of your best players, one of your national team players is there. You, you go and speak to them. I mean, I went to something in Paris and I had the, the president of the French Federation um, basketball, who is a very well-known person. And he was like, 
oh my god like stop what he was doing came over to me oh my god joey i didn't expect to see you here how are you doing da, 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 da. asked me like everything and had like gave me like 10 minutes talking to me and that's like that's not even my federation and I'm like, I was in my own country and I never saw anybody from the Federation. I mean, to be honest, they probably don't even know that um, Joe Leiden plays basketball for GB or did. It's just... Oh, it's so... That's why I'm saying just throw it in the trash and light them on fire and start again. Yeah, uh, it's, it's so disappointing to hear. And, and the thing is like, yeah, because obviously, you know, the answer I want to hear from you is like, yeah, like I'm, you know, I would love to be involved with British basketball. I want to come back and work for the Federation and do this and do that. But also, I, I completely understand and empathise, and, and uh, because that is just the sentiment that we hear from so many people—not not just players, coaches, you know, um, just older heads that have been around the game a long time. You know, so many people will say to me, like, "Just why are you wasting your time with this? This just isn't going to change." People that have just kind of given up hope—that's what it is. It's like only just the frustration becomes so yeah. much that it's just like this isn't going to change. It only it only needs to be burnt down. And until it's burnt down, then you know it's, it's going to remain as it is. Um, and I just, yeah, I just, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know what the answer is, you know. Yeah, it is sad. Like even even like I was saying um, to someone, I was like, uh, they asked me like a similar thing, and I was like, you know, after after playing in WBBL and being in, in British basketball for a year, I definitely come away thinking that like also like yeah, I'm retiring and and I don't want to touch that with a flipping stick. Really? Because because just the the way it is, the way they do stuff, like they've they've literally got no idea. Like and then you have people who have ideas, but it's probably the same story for met the men all the women who who are overseas and they, and they see how everything is running how you're supposed to do stuff and be professional and this that and the other and then and then you come back here and you're like oh my god but i also feel like part it's hard to say that because for me the the women's league is semi-pro so you know it's it's not full-on professional but again you could argue that then it's the it is the the league slash federation responsibility to change that and make it a professional league that's what they're that's what you know i always yeah. remember um I did a podcast with with Joe Ickenwin and we were talking about, he was just saying, oh, players players need to get paid more. And I was saying, well, yeah, but, you know, the problem is that, uh, well, if the clubs don't have enough money, how, how can they expect to, to pay more? And he was just like, well, yeah. there's there should be minimum standards. And ultimately, if you can't run a club to those standards to be able to make money, you shouldn't be running a club. And I was just like, that's a pretty fair point on some level, you know, like it's, but it's, it's, a, it's a hard balance because, you know, I understand the limitations as much as anyone. Um, and it's funny, even doing, you know, the more active I get in terms of trying to run events, like running this program, all this stuff I hear people say all the time about the limitations around facilities, venues, you know, people, yeah. staffing. Like, I just get it. Like, you know, even next weekend is ball out. So ball out, which I love, I love free on free. Like, love, love Julius and what he's doing with ball out. I've always supported the event. Obviously, we're going to clash. We're going to clash. We're going to run on the same day. And so many people being like, oh, it clashes. It causes us problems with staffing. But it's like, this is a city of 8 million people. There should be basketball events clashing every single weekend. And the fact that right. it's the first time that it happens is a huge problem. You're just like... This is not the issue. The issue here is the infrastructure around it. There should be way. There should be plenty of table officials, plenty of referees, like plenty of volunteers, yeah. um, because the game should be thriving in a country of our. I don't know what the word is. The the population, the economics, like all, all of that stuff. Um, yeah. It's just it's perplexing and, and so frustrating, and why yeah, so many people kind of end up getting disenchanted with it and, and sort of leaving the game, and then it becomes this sort of brain drain where yeah. the best people we we don't have involved. Um, they end up going whether it's whether it's players going to play overseas or whether it's, you know, operations, people, staff. You know, we've got people that work for the EuroLeague. We have people that were at the highest levels in FIBA. We have people that are working yeah. in the NBA. Like, uh, And those are all very talented British people that care about British basketball. But ultimately, to be able to make a good living, they've got to do what's, what's best for themselves, you know. Um, 
Yeah, it's hard. It is hard. It is hard. Um, that also thing as well. It comes back to like people, the like people skills, relation relationships and stuff like that. If you have like like for example, like if when if you come and you ask me for something and you ask me for a favor, to, if if I can do it, I'm probably going to do it because I have like a good relationship with you or try my best to do it. But people in the federation, like they don't even or, or people who actually have a lot of control over stuff. They don't even have the relationship to even reach out and send an email or to even say, hey, how are you? Where are you? What are you doing? Uh, hey, it's great to have you back in the country. Like, I'm going to come to a game. Did it? Like, you don't hear anything from them. It's just like when you're in the semifinal of um, Eurobasket Women 2019, they pop up like, hey, like, hey. Yeah. You know? Oh, dear. Anyway, I don't want to start going on a, on a big old downer about everything. Um, we're here to celebrate celebrate your career, and I'm, I'm aware of time. So I guess let's start with some sort of wrap-up questions. Um, looking back on, on everything, like, starting with the obvious one, like, when you look back on, on your entire career, national team uh, and club, what is the highlight? What is the, what's the, the thing that stands out as the sort of the top memory? Uh, it it would have to be Olympics. I feel like it has to be Olympics. Like, yeah, it that was just like an unbelievable moment. Something that you never think is is gonna really happen, and it does. And then it's on home soil, so it, it would definitely have to be Olympics. Um, I talked about this with somebody else, and you know what else I forgot to mention? I know you said like one moment, but getting drafted, like I complete because there's so much going on, and I was like the Euro Cup, the Olympics, or this, but even going further back, like getting drafted out of um, like division two. Yeah, just that was kind of nuts. I remember like being in the car with my sister and getting this call like, hey, you just got drafted. And we were like kind of laughing like, what? <laughs> they drafted me? Like, why? <laughs> like, I don't know, just, but that would probably be up there too. Like, yeah, getting drafted. But Olympics has to be like the top of the top. Like that was just amazing. Um, yeah. Favorite teammate. Oh, favorite teammate. Uh, I had so many good teammates. Probably, um, probably Celine Demurk. I just loved her, and I feel like she really helped m make me like the player that I am. Like a little bit. Like she's she's just such a great point guard. She's honestly unbelievable, and then she's just she's a good teammate too. I asked you this one on the last on the last well the podcast we did years ago, but I'll be interested to ask you again to see whether it's still the same answer. But your favorite coach. Favorite coach Tom Marr. Still the same. Was that the answer I gave? You? That was the answer there. Yeah. A, a lot of people might tell you that they they don't love him, but I love him. I really do love him. Why do you think it is that you you and him connect? Cause, yeah, like you said, there's I've had a very few few opinions from different people that kind of you know he, he they find him very difficult. Um, like why do you think that you two connect like that? Because he's a savage and <laughs> he is a savage. And I'm a savage, so I'm like, I love this. Someone's being savage with me. Tell me I'm shit. Go ahead. I love it. Um, you know, <laughs> I just feel like that mentality and like the do it, do it, do it right. Get it the right way. Um, get on with it. The kind of get on with it mentality. I remember like one time I scored and he said, Jerry, get back, mate. You, you're scoring. You want trumpets and all this shit. Just get back on defense. And I thought, you're right. <laughs> Um, um yeah just i think because he's just a savage and just bit and, and I, I like that and i don't think kids can handle that today i really don't 
what do you want your like when when people look back on your career and they talk about you as a player like what what do you what would you like to hit what would you like people to say about you as a player uh i would like them to say that i was really passionate and just like gave everything and did whatever i could to win like she just does whatever it takes to win um whether that is like a, a bad night whatever that looks like statistically she just doesn't really care she does whatever it is to win and and she's a good teammate and then finally um advice for the next generation so there is a, a young girl somewhere that's probably watched your season this year that's probably watching this and wants to do all the things that you've done in your career um what advice would you give to them uh to help them sort of on their path to achieving their goals i think um that question is always so funny to me because you you always think like oh what can i say like you want to say something good you know but i just think that only advice i would give to people is literally like you you have to work hard and and stay humble and 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 stay in the moment and live in the moment but have have fun in what you do but but be a good teammate like don't People think they know what being a good teammate is, but being a good teammate is is everything I was just saying that I hope somebody remembers me as is like doing whatever it takes to win. And and maybe sometimes you play five minutes and that's okay. And that's also okay to be sad about it. But then go to practice and work harder. Don't look for excuses from the coach. Look at yourself and look what you can do. And I feel like the way my the thing that worries me about the youth is the way social media is and stuff like that i think is very helpful but i also think it's it's very dangerous and and it's like a a deep hole that people can get sucked into and i just think don't worry about always being on the highlight reel and stuff like that because every team needs a player that does whatever it takes to win it's not always about points it's not always about rebounds it's about doing the one percent is literally giving giving your body and everything you have to just get the win because there's some people who have really good stats, but they're just, I call them, me and my sister call them good enough to lose. They're good enough to lose. They're not winners. And that, there's a difference between being good enough to lose and being winners. And and you want to be a winner. And and some of those people who are good enough to lose have really good stats, but you look at what they actually win and it's like, you know. Um, so you just want to be a winner and winners doing whatever it takes. And sometimes winning is literally sitting on the bench and, and clapping and say, let's go when your teammate comes off and they're tired and you, you're giving them their water and giving them a pat and saying, you got it. Sometimes that's it. And, and nobody wants that, but sometimes that's it. And you got to just embrace it. That's a perfect place to leave it. I think uh, everyone would describe you as a winner. And I just want to say, you know, personally, what an honour it's been to cover your career, to watch you do all the things that you've done. You've represented the 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 great British the great British basketball contingent um, incredibly well, um, and I wish you all the best for the next step. And uh, hope we can stay in touch. I hope we see you back in the UK soon. Um, and uh, yeah, all the best with it. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time out to do this. It's always a pleasure with you, Sam. And keep giving what you're giving to British basketball because we need people like you. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.